Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. We have been, uh, we started last week a, a series of messages through the book of Psalms. And man, there's a lot of them. And in fact, if you don't know your Bible too well, you could just open up the middle of the Bible and odds are you're gonna land right in Psalms. Psalm 51 is a remarkable Psalm. In fact, my Bible gives us a little context of what's going on here. And let me just read that for you. It says, for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. It says in verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Verse five says, surely I was sinful at birth. Man, I know that, I just, had, I just had kids. Man, I know they are sinners, no matter the age. We're not taught to sin, and that's just in our nature at a young age. It says, surely um, you desire, verse six, truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me from hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. A few more verses. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know, it was back in 2011, I was with a buddy and we found ourselves at the swap shop down in Sunrise. Now, I don't know if you've been to the swap shop recently, but you know, we felt like it was the best place to get our windows and our car tinted. And so we took our cars to the swap shop. This was a long time ago. It was then and there I found out a pretty dangerous place to be, especially in the car winning Nintendo spot. Because there was some commotion going on and maybe you work at the stop shop, I'm not here to judge you, but this was a long time ago and there was some commotion going on in a corner. So me and my buddy, we figured we'd see what's happening. And we saw this man dealing cards and, and he, was, he was doing tricks for people who were uh, putting money down and if they got the trick right, they would get money. Now listen, I'm not much of a gambler. But I was watching some of these people, watching him do the card tricks, and there were these people around. They, hadn't, they were just, they just were not really that smart, if I could just put it that way. They were losing money left and right, and I'm like, man, I, I know what card that is. I'm watching his hands. I, like, I did a little magic back in the day with some cards, so I, I could read what he was doing, and I'm like, man, I could, I, could win some, I could win some serious money right here. Now, I'm confessing that I was gambling, but I put down 20 bucks, and I won 20 bucks. And so we put down another 20 and we won another 20. We put down 100. <laughs> and we won $100. It was amazing. But here's what I know, that little moment of gambling. You win a little, you will eventually what? Lose a lot. 
And so somehow this man doing these card tricks convinced me and my buddy to put down $500. And we knew the, we knew it. He did the trick for us. And I was like, I got this, man. This is easy. Here's the money. He flipped the card and we were disappointed. And we realized in that moment that we were being hustled, that all the people around this man were his homies. They were his buddies. They weren't losing their own money. They convinced, they were looking for some boys who would, who, would, uh, who, would, who would buy into what they were doing and put down some serious money. So he let us win a little bit on purpose. Man, that man scammed me and he scammed my buddy. I don't know if, if I told my mom or dad this story, but we lost some serious money that day. Now they know. Fire. <laughs> uh, I haven't lost any money since. I've made a lot. I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, you know what the feeling that you get after something like that, you know, the truth is we've all made mistakes. The truth is we've done some horrible things. We've done things that we didn't want to do. And like what's worse than the action is the guilt that we feel, right? It's what, what's, what follows the action. You know, we talked about this moment in David's life months ago when we walked through the life of David, David and Bathsheba. Now, what we learned is that David paid the learning tax for us. We didn't have to do the same things David does, but yet time and time again, we find ourselves, I find myself doing things that I didn't wanna do and compromising in areas that I never said I'd compromise in. And then the, the weight of the guilt that burdens us down, the shame that I feel, the regret that I feel, the guilt that I feel, how do I, how do I, how do I free myself of that? How do I, rid myself of that because that, that's, not a, that's not a place I want to be and I don't know if that's a place you want to be and here's the thing the enemy knows about that because the enemy wants nothing but to destroy you and to ruin you and to allow you to live in that guilt for the rest of your life and this is what happened with David for a little bit and we'll read more about that but he writes Psalm 51 and he gives us some answers to something and if you're taking notes Here's the title this morning, Getting Rid of Guilt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. We're so excited to be in your presence and we already feel the spirit of God moving in ways that many of us maybe haven't experienced before in quite some time. And so Lord, we, we pray for that fresh outpouring. We pray for you to open up our minds and open up our hearts to see you in a new way than we've seen before. Would you encourage us? Would you heal us? And would you use your scripture to teach us how to be more like you every single day? And we pray the dolphins win today in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Um, what do you do with your guilt? Now notice I didn't ask you if you had any guilt because the truth is we all have guilt. But, but what do you do with it? And if you're a believer, to be honest, guilt can be a really good thing, right? I mean, how many are thankful that you have felt guilty before? I mean, we, we, we praise God for that guilt. And we're going to get to how guilt can be a good thing in a little bit. But what I'm talking about and what many psychiatrists would say is one of the number one problems they see in people is unresolved guilt. Because that can shape everything about you. Regardless of how long you've been a believer, one of the biggest challenges that we find in our faith is not allowing the guilt of our past and the guilt of our present to burden us down and to dictate what we do and to dictate how we feel and how we believe because every day we deal with guilt because every day we sin. I thought my dad asked a great question. 
How many of you have never sinned in the past two weeks? You know, every day we sin. Every day we make mistakes. And every day that guilt is there. Now, we talked about fear last week. And fear can paralyze you. But so can guilt. Guilt can cause a person to be virtually locked in immobility. And what kind of, what kind of usefulness is a believer if they have been paralyzed in guilt? You know, a month ago, my dad preached a sermon on Malachi chapter 2. And his title was unfaithful. You remember that? Unfaithfulness robs our usefulness. You better believe unfaithfulness will rob your usefulness as a believer. But you also better believe that guilt will rob your usefulness as well. And like I said when I first started, the enemy knows that. And the enemy will use that and it'll hold that against you so you can be immobile. Because if you know anything about the enemy is, yeah, we hate his tempting. But we also better believe that he's going to guilt trip you. And we should also hate that. We better believe that the enemy is going to accuse you. In fact, there's a moment in Zechariah chapter 3. And that's the book before Malachi. Where Zechariah says in verse 1 of Zechariah 3, he says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Joshua is standing in the presence of an angel. But at his right side is the presence of the devil. Now here's the thing about the devil. Is the devil knows what you did. The devil is, is the father of lies, but he also knows the truth. And he could use the truth and hold it against you. Now the Holy Spirit knows the truth and will, and will call you out. But so will the devil. The difference between God and the devil is that God has wrapped his accusations in forgiveness and the devil hasn't. And so when Joshua is standing here in this presence of God and the presence of, of, of the devil, um, the devil accuses him. Now what did Joshua do if you read on? Joshua was standing in the presence of God as the high priest and he was wearing filthy clothes. Now, that's not an attire to wear before the presence of God, especially if you're the high priest. Filthy clothes. I mean, God requires more than that. But yet God, but he shows up and, and the devil's like, this man isn't fit to be in the ministry. And God's response is, I plucked this man from the fire and he's mine. But that's what the devil says. You're not fit to be in this place. Some of you walked in here this morning and immediately you sensed the stairs. People looking at you, judging you. Maybe you can go back to a time where you walked into church and you sat down and somebody next to you was like, what are you doing here? And immediately in that moment, the only thing that you feel and the only thing that you experience is you're reminded of all the things that you did and all who you used to be. And then the, 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 the guilt that overwhelms you and you beg and you plead and you ask the question, God, how can I get rid of this guilt? I don't like this. I don't want this. Everybody sees it. Now I remember it. I freed myself from that years ago. Why do you got to bring it up, Satan? You got some friends in your life that all they do is like to bring up your past. It's time to find some new friends, church. How can I be freed of this? I'm being paralyzed by this. It's crippling me. And that's the question that Psalm 51 answers. But first, we can't rid ourselves of any guilt that you don't think you have. You know, guilt arises when we've done something that we know we should confess, but we don't. Maybe you've had to plead guilty before. Maybe you've had to plead, admit and declare that you were the one that committed the crimes. But what if nobody saw you? What if nobody knew? What if you thought you could get away with it? You know, the only accident that I've ever been in behind the, behind the steering wheel, it was raining and the roads were slippery and I was probably 
I was probably a little too close to this car in front of me, so I'll, I'll admit, but a car cut him off and then he slammed on his brakes and I slammed on my brakes and I just rammed right into the back of this car. And I was fine, they were fine, our cars were fine. But the problem was is I had one hand on the wheel and I had another hand on my phone. Now I promise you I was not looking at my phone in that moment, but I probably was before. And even, even then though, um, how would the cop really know if I was on my phone? But it doesn't matter what the cop thinks. Well, I guess it does matter what the cop thinks. But what matters to you is what you know. You see, I, I know what I was doing. I know what I was holding. Even though I could tell you in a clear conscience that it didn't cause me to get into that accident, but that doesn't mean anything to anybody else. All they see is I've got this thing in my hand. Oh, you will know. And the guilt that you will experience and that you will carry for the rest of your life, if not said, if not confessed, is it really worth it? Remember the story of the two prostitutes in 1 Kings chapter 3? Of course, this is our favorite story about the two prostitutes. They're in one room and they each have a child. And one of the prostitutes rolls over in the middle of the night and, 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 and kills her baby. And then in the middle of the night, what does that one prostitute do? The woman exchanges babies with the other baby. And so then the mother of the other baby wakes up and says, why is my baby dead? And then realizes, this actually isn't my baby. This is your baby. And then the other woman is like, no, it's not. Sounds like my kids. No, it's not. And so what do the two women do? They go to King Solomon. And King Solomon, with all his wisdom, says, you know what? You're fighting over this child that is alive. Give me my sword. Let me cut this baby in half. And immediately the woman who, who was the mother said, no, don't kill my child. Just give my child away. Which told Solomon. But imagine if Solomon didn't have that kind of wisdom. Imagine the guilt that woman would have felt if she had this child that wasn't even hers. Imagine if she lived her whole entire life with not saying anything, with not confessing anything, with not being honest. Imagine how much that would have crippled her. And some of you today, well, you haven't done that, but you've certainly been carrying around some guilt now for years. And none of it's been resolved. You can't seem to shake it. It haunts you. It torments you. And sure, you got away with it because nobody caught you. But now you realize years, years from now that you wish, because of the, of the catastrophe that it's been to your soul, you wish that somebody found out. You wish somebody knew. You wish, and you now pleading with God, God, I wish somebody would have caught me. Can I ask this question, Christian, online? Is anybody thankful that, that you got caught? And that you changed forever from that moment? Come on, anybody thankful that you got caught? Because you wouldn't be who you are today if you didn't get caught. You wouldn't be where you are today if you didn't get caught. Some of you, if you didn't get caught, you'd be in a divorce. If you didn't get caught, you wouldn't have a family. If you didn't get caught, you wouldn't be who you are. In fact, you'd be walking down a place that you never wanted to walk down, but you got caught. Man, I thank God that God spared me when he caught me. We know David clearly gets caught in this story with Bathsheba. But I just think so many of us think that it's important for us to be quiet about it and not say anything. Because I don't think God is sending some prophet named Nathan to my house. Do you know in, in Proverbs 28, 13, it says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Man, I thank God that he caught me. I thank God that I was called out. I thank God that he sent a church to confront my sin. 
I thank God that he sent a neighbor knocking on my door to confront my issues and to confront my mistakes. Man, I didn't like it at first. In fact, I hated it. Maybe you even denied it, but you now realize that it was worth it and that it may have saved you. So let me give you some context of what's going on here. I want to set this up some more, and then we'll get to Psalm 51. If you go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, David had messed up, right? He, he, went after a, he went after a woman that wasn't his. He slept with her, and then she got pregnant. And to cover it up, he uh, found her husband, who he knew, by the way, and he had him killed. And nobody caught him. Nobody knew. And he was getting away with it. But I think David, deep down inside, knew that there was somebody. Because maybe you're like David, and you've done something that nobody knows. And it's been some years now, and you feel like you're, you're pretty good. And you haven't really paid for the consequences. And you haven't had any issues arise. And you feel as if it's been brushed over. You've done a great job at covering up. You've done a great job at hiding it. You've done a great job at deleting your history. Man, you're really good at that. You're really good at deleting your text messages. You're really good at just covering all that you did. But you now remember, like David, that there is one who is omnipresent. There is one who is in all things and before all things. There is one who you cannot run and you can't hide. There is one and his name is God. And some of you are like, amen. It's not, it's not a good amen. You're like, man, I just know that God always sees what I do. And I'm thankful that God always sees what I do. Because if I ever thought nobody saw what I did, then I wouldn't need to say anything. And that's, what, that's where people are today. And that's where you might be. Living in this torment, living in this unresolved guilt, thinking, you know what, I might just leave it as this because it's not worth it for people to know. You know, Jesus addressed in the book of Luke, he addressed people who were living hypocritically, hoping that nobody would find out. He said this in verse 2 of Luke 12. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. It says there's nothing that is hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. And that should scare you a little bit. And we see this all the time. Anytime somebody is, is stepping into ministry or stepping into politics or stepping into leading a company, what does everybody do? The first thing they do, man, they want to dig up all of your dirt. That's an appropriate word to say right there. Man, they want to dig it all up and they want to bring it to the surface. And some of you are like, man, I know what I'm stepping into this next season of my life, but I think I got to go back and I got to delete some things. I got to go back to my Twitter account and I got to delete, man, I got to go back to my MySpace church. Come on, my MySpace. And I just need to blow that up, destroy it completely. I don't have enough time to delete all those things that I said. I mean, could you just imagine if everything you did was surfaced if you had people working really hard to bring upon what you did back in, in your days, back in your lost days, back in your sinful days, back when you weren't as intellect as you are now, back when you aren't smart as you were now. I mean, just think, if all that you did was up on that screen, just think about every, every picture you liked and commented on was up on that screen. Just imagine if every video that you DM to somebody, I'm already feeling a little bit guilty right now on this stage, okay? Imagine if all of that was thrown on this screen. 
Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14 says, For God will bring every deed into what? Judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You see, the truth is some of you have gotten away with a lot. The bad part is that some of your friends have too, and you don't like that. But then when they are called out, when their sin is exposed, doesn't it feel pretty nice? Don't when somebody that you don't really like gets exposed and their sin reaches the surface and you're like, yes, this feels really good. But then at the same time, because you're a Christian, you're like, God, and please just bless them and use that moment to change them, you know, like just please, God, just, you know, but I'm so glad you called them out, God. They've been living in sin for way too long. God, can you please call my children out, please? You know, God, can you please call my spouse out? I can't be the one to expose them, but you can. And that would just be really, really Good. God will expose it. Deep down inside, we love that. Deep down, maybe we pray that God would use moments like that to turn people's lives around and certainly our lives around. But I want to turn the page because as good as it is to get caught, as good as it is maybe for you, for your sin to be, to be exposed, I know for me it has helped me. It's been, it's been certain moments in my life where things were exposed and if it weren't exposed, who, who knows how, how dark it would have gotten, right? Who knows how deep it would have been? So I'm thankful for those moments. But could we talk about how we can actually avoid some of that pain? We could avoid some of that torment by just simply confessing and being honest and and putting aside our pride and walking in humility and saying, you know what? I messed up. I mean, this is going to be really hard for me to share with some of you today and maybe with your spouse. But I think it's so important that I do because if I don't, I know the consequences of that. And I know what can develop in that, especially if I'm living in guilt and you don't know about it. And so it's so important for us to step out and say, you know what James says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Man, that healing can come sooner, church, if you confess sooner. God might just send you a prophet like he did David, a man by the name of Nathan, to bring what you've been guilty about to the light. So let's read 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1. David did his thing with Bathsheba and killed her husband Uriah, and now he's living with Bathsheba. She's now his wife, and, and they have a son. And look at verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, Well, there were two men in a certain town. So he's telling a story. He's like, King David. David's probably like, Nathan the prophet, welcome in to my home. Here's my wife and my child. And Nathan's like, ooh, you just wait. I got a story to tell. And so he says there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and he grew it up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from its, its cup, and even slept in his arms. Is anybody weird? pet people like that. I mean, you're just like, they're drinking from your, your bowl and, you know, eating from your plate and you like your dog so much, they're sleeping with you. And it's just like, yo, it's weird. So this story is, you know, whatever, but it's about a man who all he has is just one little, one little thing. And it's, it's all he has and it's all he loves. And it's, it's the best for him. But now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle. Now, although he had many to prepare for the meal for the traveler who had come to him, instead, he went to the poor man. He took the ewe lamb that that belonged to the poor man and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. 
And David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan is like, David, you are this man. Nathan goes on to say a few more things about what he did. But David knows what he did. And then he says a few things that are going to happen to him that he did not know. But he probably feared. But it eventually comes to the point in verse 13 where David says to Nathan, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Calamity would be brought upon David's household, but David was forgiven. And by the way, the Savior of the world would still come from the line of David. But I wonder what that moment would have been like for him. You know, he, he, he thought he was freed from it. He thought that nobody knew. He thought he covered it up. And, but certainly there was still some guilt. Perhaps he escaped the consequences until now, until this moment where he is called out, where he is confronted about his sin, confronted about what he did. And I'm sure there were people around David that all now heard as well, that perked their ears up. And I'm sure there was a few that probably knew what already happened because they were his servants. And they said, finally. But David is confronted. David is caught. But it's important to know that David admits. I wonder what it would have been like for that moment, carrying all that. But we do know what he says. And this is where he pens Psalm 51. And there's a few things that we get from Psalm 51. So go back to me to Psalm 51. I'm going to give you three things and then I'll pray. Verse 2, this is what it says, okay? He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. Notice the word here. There's a key word. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So let me give you three things that David tells, if if you're taking notes, because we're all note takers here at VLC. Three things of how we can rid ourselves of this guilt. And the first thing is this, very simple, admit you sinned. God, I have sinned. How can you be freed of anything that you can't admit to? How can you be freed of any guilt that you can't admit that you actually have? Do you know that many would agree that David um, didn't say anything until Nathan confronted him and it lasted for about a year? That means Nathan, uh, David and Bathsheba had this child and that the baby was a year old and David said, surely now that it's been a year, nobody will know. And yet Nathan shows up one year later and calls David out and it breaks him. And this gets David to say, God, I need you to wash me thoroughly. And what that means is not just God wash my, you know, outward defilement or my outward self, but God wash my inward barbaric nature. God, I need you to cleanse that. I mean, how do you pray when you, when you admit to sin? God, forgive me of this sin. But could you also pray, God, help me from continuing in this sin? I mean, there's a, there's a difference here because I need to admit, yes, that I failed, but I need to admit and say, God, I need some help. Help me, because I keep falling into the same things. I mean, you probably saw the news on ESPN, the football player who was accused of exposing himself to, to people, and he said, I, I have a problem. This is what he says. Sure, you've you got a problem, but at least he's admitting that he has a problem. 
I can't, I can't help myself. I'm mentally ill. I need some serious help. And so when we admit, we say, God, I'm so sorry for what I did, but Lord, I need you to help me um, uh, continue to never do what I just did. Man, some of us are, we got too many people who are great at constantly repenting because you are really great at constantly sinning. And there's, there's, gotta, be, there's gotta be something different that, that other churches are preaching because it's just like, man, I, when I got saved, I, you know, they told me that I would continue to sin. <laughs> and, and now you've justified your lifestyle by that one statement right there. Because it's like, oh man, I sin and God forgives me. And then I sin again and God forgives me. And then I'm going to sin tomorrow. And I know I'm going to gamble this weekend. And I know what I'm watching next weekend. And I know who I'm sleeping with the following weekend. But God is so good that God will continue to forgive me. Amen, brother. No. Here's the thing about Christianity. Here's the thing about stepping into a relationship with Jesus. That he changes everything about you. Even your actions, even your speech. And if it hasn't, then something isn't right. There's got to be something different about how you talk. There's got to be something different about how you act. There has to be. Because the love and the grace and the mercy of God compels me to change. It compels me to walk differently. It compels me to live a different lifestyle than I was living before. we got too many Christians out there saying, man, God is good, living in too much sin. I'm just not really sure you really think God is that good. And I'm not sure you want to see the wrath of God. The wrath of God, oh, that's, that's the Old Testament, Jacob. Oh, you just read Matthew 23. And listen to Jesus, because the New Testament has got it as well. We should, we should never stop confessing. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. We should never stop repenting. But if you're in the confession booth every day, I mean, come on, with the same crime that you keep committing, I mean, come on. We got we to gotta do a little bit better. Tell the person next to you, come on, I better see you doing a little bit better. Tell them, stop going to the confession booth. And we don't have to do, do that anymore. Our confession booth is here right now with God anywhere and everywhere. He lives in us. But our actions have got to change. But they won't until we allow God to change our inward self. We have to address it at the root. You know, I've learned so much now as a, as a parent. In fact, a couple months ago, I came home with, I don't want to be long in this because I want to continue, but I came home with Pollo Tropical, and you know I don't like black beans. Don't, don't shoot me, but they put black beans in my bowl, and it was just a horrible day. I got to be honest, man. I, can I admit that I just have some bad days? I do have some bad days, all right? Some. Not a lot, okay? Just some. And I got home, and I opened up my bowl, and I was just, I think my wife might have been sleeping or something. I just got, you know how when you stub your toe, you, your first instinct is just so like, punch something, you know, like, so I opened my bowl and there was beans in it. And I was like, ah, and I just, just lightly slammed the countertop just a little bit, you know, I was just so mad. And I grabbed my bowl and, and I ran back to, I didn't run, I, I drove back to Pollo and I, I was like, and they were really nice, by the way, you know, they just got my order wrong, but they were really nice. And they gave me my, came back home and my wife's like, what happened? You see, what I had forgotten is that my son was there watching me. And um, I walk into saying, my wife was like, what happened? And my son, he, uh, he might have been four at the time, Judah, he was like, yeah, and daddy was, ah, boom. <laughs> he was like, he, was, he screamed, ah, and then boom. And it was in that moment where I was like, God, forgive me and help me to never do that again. I don't want to be that example for my kids. 
I don't want to be that example for any other people that are watching to say, hey, if Jacob can do it, then I can do it. And I, I see things that I do that my kids do, and I'm like, don't do that. And my wife is like, you do that. And I'm like, oh, God, help me never. I just, I always say God is still working on me, church. Come on, God is still working on you. Anybody thankful that God isn't done working on you? Come on, I thank God. I need his grace and mercy every day. I need his forgiveness every day, but my mistakes are going to be far and few in between. I'll tell you that. Can we talk about, just for a moment, addressing sin? We have to be very careful how we address sin, you know? Like, we, we need people to admit it, but sometimes they won't, and we have to confront them. Like, that's just, that is not easy. We've got to set up a meeting, make a phone call, say, hey, will you meet me for some coffee? But this isn't going to be a good coffee, you know? This is going to be, i got to just, i got to say some things. We have to be very careful because, um, man, you know, the goal of sin confrontation should always be restoration. It should never be accusation, Okay. You know, Paul said in Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, if somebody is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I just think Christians at times, we've done a bad job at this. And we pointed the finger. And we have, as we point the finger at them, we're pointing the finger at the door and they would just walk right out. And we have people who have left church. We have people who've, who've left the faith because all they felt is that they were getting judged and accused of all their mistakes. So there's gotta be a way. And so when you approach somebody, you say something like this. Not, I can't believe you did that. But you say, listen, I can believe you did that because I've done the same thing. I've done similar things. And you sit them down and say, listen, I'm not here to talk about what you did because I don't wanna talk about that. You know what you did and I know what you did. And we really wanna relive the past. But what I want to know is what's causing you to do that? What, what, at the root, what's, what's, what's there? Because that's what I want to help with. I really want to help restore you. I don't want to help accuse you because you've got your friends doing that already. You've got the devil doing that already. But I want to be somebody who's bringing life, who's, who's bringing the mercy and the grace that God brings I don't want to accuse. I want to restore. And so we've got to be very careful how we do that. But you've got to attack it at the root. God cleanse me outwardly and cleanse me inwardly. But when you are called out or when you confess, just be very clear. Admit it. Not only is it taking personal responsibility, but David is specific. He uses the word iniquity. That word is translated as perversion. There was sexual perversion in what David did with Bathsheba. He was very specific. Some of you today need to get specific with God. Some of you today need to get specific with some people who you can trust. I'm not saying you got to tell everybody, you know, shout it from the rooftops. Here's what I did. Like this girl in my class one day, we were having like a spiritual revival. It was like amazing. And she got up there and she's like, I have slept with. And she listed the amount of guys she slept with. You know, I mean, like, you know, my dad says it all the time. Some of you boast so much on your past days that it sounds appetizing to the young believer. It sounds appealing. Man, I did this. I did that. I had all this. I had all that. It was great. Really? Tell me more. Because maybe I can step into that a little bit. I know God's going to forgive me, but be very careful. You know what you share, especially if you have a microphone and you stand on stage. And, and then you unload your laundry list of sins. And some of that might sound appealing to people. So we got to be very careful. The past life of sin wasn't a past life of glory, church. The glory days are ahead, amen? Come on, the glory days are ahead. But let's be honest, could it hurt to be a little bit more vulnerable? Men, is it worth carrying all that guilt? Let me give you the second thing we find through Psalm 51, is ask to be forgiven. 
He says in verse one, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Now understand mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And so what you say is, God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me and, and don't give me what I deserve. Please spare the consequences. S spare um, what I should be getting. W will you spare me of that, God? Will you have mercy on He says in verse 7, I'm going to skip a little bit ahead, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Now to understand hyssop, you got to go back to the Levitical law because hyssop was a, was a herb and it was used in a ceremonial cleansing. It was used for medicinal purposes and flavoring purposes and the priests would use it to cleanse um, homes or to cleanse people. And so David's like, in that physical act, can you spiritually cleanse me, God? I, I need some help. Will you, will you cleanse me so I don't do the things that I've done before? And it's the same thing that we're asking today. God, would you would you cleanse me? And just so you know, believer, what God did on the cross with his blood, he has given you an opportunity to, to be completely cleansed. Amen? And some of you are very thankful for that moment. You knew what you did, and you know all that's there. And if somebody were to dig it up, it would be bad. And they might. But you're standing in some confidence today because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I'm very thankful for that, Jesus. But you got to ask to be forgiven. God, cleanse me, wash me clean, make me whole again. Let me give you the third one and I'll close. David says in Psalm 51, he says, first, you've got to admit that you've made a mistake. Secondly, you've got to ask for forgiveness. And thirdly, accept your fresh start. Accept your fresh start. Look at verse eight. It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Verse 10 says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 12 says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What is he saying? He's saying, God, may I accept the fresh start that you are giving. I'm thankful that you're not throwing me out with the trash. God, I need you to make me new. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Now, can I go back to verse 10, if you can put that on the screen? Verse 10 is, is kind of like the, the, the verse that makes up this entire chapter right here, Psalm 51, verse 10, where he says, create in me a pure heart. Create in me, a, somebody say pure. Create in me a, a pure heart, God. And then it says, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I mean, admitting you have made a mistake is so important. Asking for forgiveness is so important. But being renewed and being transformed, if, if you don't do that, well, then you're going to keep doing what you've been doing, and you're going to admit, and you're going you're gonna to ask, and you're going to admit, and you're going to ask. But you're failing to accept what God has freely given you, the mercy of God and, and the grace of God. Some of you are afraid to step in it. Some of you don't want to step in it because you really like what you're already in. You, you like it. Deep down inside, it, it feels good. I know it's temporary, but at least I get something because it seems like I don't feel anything when I go to church. But when I'm in the world, I feel. When I'm in the world, I experience. And God is like, that experience is fleeting. 
And you didn't step into this faith based upon how you feel. Because if you had to live for God based upon how you feel, some of you wouldn't be living for God seven days out of the week. Because I don't feel it all the time. Sure, in Sundays I feel it. Man, I feel when the, the songs are singing. Some of you were like, man, when they started singing that hymn, woo, it brought me back to the 1920s, man. And it was so good. Oh, if you're still living in the 1920s, let's go. That's amazing. What are you drinking and what are you eating? Tell us, please. But we gotta, we got to step into something. We have to accept what God is giving. It's, it's being renewed. It's changing from the old to the new, from the past ways to the right ways, from immoral to moral. Man, I was lost, and then I was found. And a steadfast spirit says, God, I don't want to continue in what I was doing when I was lost. I don't want to continue what I was doing when I was feeling all that guilt and all that shame. When God forgives you, I can't say it loud enough, walk in that forgiveness. Come on, some of you are sitting in it and some of you need to walk in it. Some of you need to stand up in it. Some of you need to shout in it. Some of you need to run in it. Some of you need to dance in it. Like David did. Man, I'm so thankful for what God did in me. I'm so thankful for what God did for me. I can't help but shout it from the rooftops because of who I was and not who I am. Man, all glory to God. Man, I thank him for what he's done. I thank him for who he is. I thank him. Lord, I, I, I thank him. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1 says. Create in me a pure heart. But I want you to notice something. David says, he, he, he didn't say, God, I need you to heal my crushed bones. No, he says, let my crushed bones rejoice. You see, there are still things that we're going to have to deal with. There are still consequences. This unresolved guilt, when you finally confess it, admit to it, ask for forgiveness, accept the fresh start, we still got to listen. And, and we, we still have to not listen, but those consequences are still there. Your kids still don't like you for, for maybe a while. Your wife still doesn't want to be with you. Your job isn't going to accept you back. Oh, you prayed to God? Well, well, here, here's your job. We'll give you a bonus as well. No, the consequences are still there. But now what you do, again, it's about perception. Now you take those consequences and you allow them not to hurt you or break you, but you allow them to glorify God for what he's done in you, right? You know, I, I may have a limp, but my limp is gonna glorify God. I may have a record, but my record now is gonna glorify God. I may have some consequences, but those consequences are going to remind me of who I was and where I never wanna go back to. And guess what? Those consequences, those crushed bones are now part of your story. They're part of your story, church. They're part of, it's not who you are, it was who you were. But now you can say, look what God did in me. Look what God did in my life. Man, I was, I was so sexually driven with perversion that I took another man's wife and then I killed him. But, but God has forgiven me. But God killed the baby when Nathan showed up. And if that baby was one years old, Nathan said, that baby's gonna die. Let my crushed bones rejoice. And David would have another son and his son would be named Solomon and so God would still do something through David even though what he did would be unspeakable there'd be no forgiveness in our government for something like that 
And there, there shouldn't be, but with God, there is. With God, there will be. With God, it always will be. Part of my story is broken, and I'm thankful for it. Part of my story, there's wounds, but I'm thankful for it. Part of my story has a bunch of scars, but I'm thankful for it. Part of my story has a bunch of, of bankruptcy and death, but I'm thankful for it. Come on, part of my story, there is, there is brokenness, there is bondage, there is broken glass, but I'm thankful for it because God is turning some things around in my life. God is making beauty out of ashes. And so I'm thankful that that is part of my story. That isn't who I was, but I was burdened down at one point and I'm no longer burdened down by it anymore because I have given it to God and he has freed me from it. I don't walk in that guilt anymore. I don't walk in that shame anymore. I don't have to because God has forgiven me. And church, God will forgive you. If you're here today and you're hurting and you're broken, if you're here in this moment, if you're watching and online and you have a ton of guilt that has been weighing you down, if you have a ton of shame that has got a grip on you, come on, can you just close your eyes for a moment and begin to search your heart and say, God, is there anything that I need to bring before you. Some of you know there is. Some of you know that there is something right now that you can pinpoint that is weighing you down. It's unresolved guilt due to unconfessed sin. And God is saying, listen, there is hope today. There is hope today. And his name is Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.